happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the house. Come on, y'all clap for the mothers. It's awesome. We got some moms in here for the first time. Look at that. Well, I guess technically the second time. Right, technically the second time. But uh, I'm super happy for all the moms. And I just want to recognize and say this. Um, Stephanie and I have actually experienced some miscarriage before. Um, we know that there's a lot of ladies maybe even in here that are having a hard time with Mother's Day. Maybe you're watching. You just didn't want to be here today um, online. But we recognize to you how hard this day can be. And I just want to let you know we're here for you. Uh, we know that, that this can be painful for you, and we're here. We love you very, very much. And here's what I know. Even if you don't hold the earthly title of having or being a mom and having a physical kid, you can be a spiritual mom to anybody. There's so many people that need a figure in their life that's like a mom, and, uh, and you can be that. And so we, we stand with you today. I just wanted to say that. But hey, I wanted to start today off having a little bit of fun. I think church should be enjoyed, not endured. All right, too many of us went to church. Not me. I loved our church growing up, all right? But there's a lot of us didn't go to a church we liked. We hated going to church because it felt like it lasted forever. And I'm here to tell you, I only have a two-hour sermon tonight. So you'll be out of here before you know it, okay? Uh, but seriously, you, you went to church and it wasn't fun. We're going to laugh a little bit. And I'm going to give you permission to laugh at these poor people that we're about to see videos of, okay? So I love YouTube. Um, I love fail compilations on these are driving me insane. Okay. I'm going to fall and tear my ACL up here preaching. Okay. Um, I love YouTube. I love fail videos, videos on YouTube. And probably the best genre of fail videos on YouTube are wedding fail videos because... If you've ever done, I've, I've had the opportunity to do weddings. Miss Kathy, you've worked countless weddings. They're nerve wracking because it's someone's like perfect day, right? Like if you mess it up, you messed it up. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's a terrible pressure. I, I, I did photography for one wedding and I said, I'm never doing that again. That was the, you couldn't pay me enough money to do this because there's so much pressure. So when something goes wrong at weddings and I get to watch it on YouTube, I love it. All right, so I brought three of my favorite wedding fails, okay? So we're going to watch this first one right here because I think it's hilarious. All right, go ahead, Kev, play this one. The rings, please. He said the rings, please. Oh, oh God. No, no, no. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I would pay to be there for that. How awesome is that? I love that. Uh, and I had to edit a bad word out of that one. So because... All of us were thinking it when she went in the water. Let's be honest. Okay. I love that one. Here's the second one. Hold on. Top. Before you play it, hold on. Before you play it, I can relate to this. All right. I just want to say before, before this, I can relate to this. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, the guy the, the camera said, oh, shoot. Um, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, I preached the first five minutes with my fly down. So uh, that was fun. And anyway, so, okay, third one, this is the best one. It doesn't involve the bride, okay, uh, but this is, is very funny. If I would have been here for this, it would have been awesome. All right, go ahead, play it. I mean, went to sleep. <laughs> I love it. Listen, anytime you can get a group of people together, all right, and you can celebrate something and maybe add a little alcohol, okay? You're gonna, you're like, it's a recipe for a fail video. I love wedding fails because it seems like it, it 
comically ruined someone's day, right? And we all like watching that, but we hate it when it's happening to us, right? Like that bride in the first video that fell in the water was not laughing. I don't know if you saw that. Like she wasn't very happy, right? And I don't think Stephanie would have been happy had that happened either. And by the way, just from my study of this this week, uh, of watching a bunch of fail videos, never give someone a piggyback ride at a wedding. I, I couldn't show a lot of those because they weren't very appropriate, but don't do it. Just take my word for it, okay? So um, I love fails, but I hate it when they happen to me. And today we're going to look at possibly the biggest wedding fail that was ever recorded in history, all right? And it was a wedding that Jesus happened to be at. And so to understand really the story, we kind of have to understand what the times were like back then because weddings weren't like they are today. Okay, we got married. We had a big wedding. We had, how many people were at our wedding? A lot, four or 500 people at our wedding. It was not a very expensive wedding, but it was fun. We had a great time. But let me be honest, that wedding lasted about 90 minutes from start of the ceremony to when we were leaving, all right? And, uh, but back then, they lasted an entire week. These wedding ceremonies, they would have the ceremony, and then they would party for a week. And so if you're in here and you've paid for a wedding before, you know how expensive they can be. I looked it up. Uh, in the state of Tennessee, the average wedding cost $27,000. And that's like, and Rhode Island was the highest. It was $50,000. The little state packing the biggest punch right there. It's insane, right? But, but weddings cost something. Imagine that happening for an entire week with everybody that you know. You know, like it's insane. So Jesus is at this wedding. And it was the bride's family's responsibility, just like it is today, to pay for everything. So they would pay for all this stuff. They made sure they had enough food for the entire week for all these guests. They made sure they had enough drinks for everybody to come and be there. They had to have lodging. They had to have every servants to serve it all, caterers. Kathy, you'd be happy. A whole week-long wedding, you'd be making bank, girl. It'd be awesome, right? But I'm telling you, like, they lasted a long time. Well, Jesus shows up to this wedding and we have to assume that Jesus was somehow close uh, to this family. Like his mom probably knew uh, one of the people that was getting married, probably very close, maybe even a relative, because something happens at this wedding that was a big no-no. It would be like you and I showing up to someone's house to help them move, and they haven't started packing yet. You know, like it, it would frustrate you if this happened at your wedding. Well, they show up to this, they get to this wedding, and they've been partying for a couple of days, and all of a sudden... They run out of wine. That's a big deal. Back then, all right, they threw it down, okay? Their livers were made of iron, I think, right? Like they knew how to throw it down. And so they, they were having a good old time at this wedding. They went out of, ran out of wine, and it was super embarrassing. And the reason Mary probably knew about it is because she was probably friends with the people getting married. And so before we kind of get into this actual story, kind of what happened, I want to catch up a little bit because Jesus, before this happens, he's had a big week like a really big week. Uh, he's 30 years old and he's just now starting like his public ministry. Okay. So Jesus didn't start ministry until he was 30 and it only lasted three years. So he's 30 years old. Seven days before this, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Okay. So y'all have all heard the story. He gets dunked, a, a dunked, a dove comes down and rests on his shoulder. And it's a, this glorious moment. And John looks at him and says, or, or John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That happened a week before this. And then right after that, Jesus has already selected all 12 of his disciples, okay? So all that happened in the week leading up 
to this moment right here. So Jesus has brand new disciples. And these people weren't people that you and I would look at and go, that's a good group of guys right there Jesus has with them. All of you would say the complete opposite. You would go, okay, this is Jesus guy. Everyone's been talking about him. Did you see who he picked to be his disciples? I mean, they're like dumb. They're idiots, right? They're really dumb. They're people that we would see on the fail video, you know? Like they were just lousy fishermen. Like, they, they, they didn't do much. They didn't amount to much. One of them was a tax collector. He, he had a person that was in the IRS, essentially, in his group of friends. How many of y'all love the IRS? No, no one likes the IRS. And they were much worse back then, the tax collectors. They hated him. He had one of those on his, on his team, right, his disciples. So he picks all these people, and then Jesus brings them to this place, to this wedding, right? They're all there. And so now that we kind of have a picture of what's going on, I want to read you this story, but I want to read you, I want you to think of it from Mary's perspective. It's Mother's Day. This is Jesus' mom. And it says this in John chapter 2. If you got your Bible, turn it on and get there if you want to follow along with us. It'll also be on the screen. And it says this. John chapter 2, verse 1. Now, on the third day, so they're three days into this long wedding, okay? It's lasted a week. They're three days in. Jesus' mother went to a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana. Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet. But with so many guests, they ran out of wine. And so, uh, and when Mary realized it, she came to Jesus and asked, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? And Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it will change nothing for you but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling of my power has not yet come. But Mary, being the good mom she is, ignored all of this, okay? And she went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, I want you to do it. Now, moms, they have this superpower. If you're a mom in here, let me just, even if you're not a mom, I think just ladies in general possess this, but if you're a mom in here, it's especially true for you. You have a superpower of seeing potential in your kids that no one else can see, even if it's wrong. You know, even if the rest of us are like, they can't sing, okay? Like, I know you think they can't, but but, they, but moms love their kids so much, like they can't do anything wrong, you know? Especially if you're a youngest kid. Any young, like the youngest one in the family here, you, you get away with murder, all right? That's just how it is. Moms can see potential in people like nobody can, right? Like Mary was no different. She knew who her son was. She knew. I mean, a, a daggum angel appeared to her and told her who her son was going to be. She knew who Jesus was. She knew that he was the anointed one. She knew that he was the Messiah. She had that mother instinct, right? Not even that, but an angel told her. And I'm sorry to say it, but the Christmas song, Mary, did you know? Yes, she did know, okay? Like, I just want to tell you, she knew. And it's because the whole, her whole childhood, even before she was pregnant, they've heard about the Messiah. They've heard about this one that's going to come and they're going to change everything. And an angel comes, tells Mary, man, he, it's, your son's going to be that guy. So Mary knew. She saw this potential in her son. And so her and Jesus, they had this little exchange. They're talking and, and, and Jesus is reluctant. I'd imagine she came over and he probably like rolled his eyes respectfully because he never sinned, right? But he probably was like, Ugh. Okay, all right, what do you want, mom, right? And she not so subtly hinted at him like, 
It's your time, big boy. You know what I'm saying? Like she said, you need to do something about this. You're not going to embarrass my sister. You're not going to embarrass this person that we know really, really well. And Jesus makes a good point. He looks at her and he says, listen, I get it. I know I can do anything I want, and you know that. But listen, if I do this, I'm the one that's going to be dealing with the consequences of this, right? They're going to know who I am after this. It'd be like a superhero revealing that they could fly for the first time in front of everybody. Everybody in that place would be like, did you see what just happened? You know, Jesus knew this was going on. But Mary, she didn't care. She saw a problem, and she took it to the person who could fix the problem. And so here's what I want to ask you today is how many of you guys got a problem that's going on in your life right now? Come on. Even if it's small, every hand should be up because everybody's got problems. And if you don't have a problem, I'd love for you to preach next week, all right? But we all got problems. Uh, For some of you, your marriage might be facing a problem. And nobody really knows about it, but you and your spouse, you might be facing a problem. For you, uh, for some of you, it might be a fear that you have that's just taking over everything in your brain, like every waking moment, you wake up, you think about the, you have this fear, you have this anxiety about something. Maybe for you, uh, you really need help in your life, but you're too embarrassed to to say something about it. You're too embarrassed maybe uh, to open up and go, hey, I really need some help right now. Maybe that's your problem. Uh, Maybe for you, you're under a ton of pressure at work. Anyone else have this problem? Come on. You're under a ton of pressure at work. Your boss has put more on your plate. All of a sudden, maybe for you, maybe you run the business, and maybe you have this huge uh, decision that you have to make. Maybe you have the hard decision of having to let somebody go. That's never fun, right? Maybe that's your problem. Maybe for you, you have a problem with someone in your family. That's complicated, right? You're holding this grudge. Something's going on. Maybe for you, you have bills piling up, but you don't have any money to pay them. I don't know what your problem is. All I know is we all have come in here with problems. They're big problems, they're small problems, but we all have them. And if we're all being honest, we probably all got some big problems. But Mary did something that few of us rarely do. She knew something that a lot of us have a, tr- a lot of us have trouble understanding. She did something that many of you never do. And she took her problem to the only person that could do anything. Now, uh, if you're a doctor in here, which uh, there was, Michaela's dad was in here one time. He is actually a doctor, all right? But if you're in the medical field or, or anything, I guarantee you, if you know someone that's a doctor, a nurse, they hate the website WebMD, okay? How many of y'all ever been on WebMD? Or you've Googled symptoms, okay? I have, okay? Let me tell you a little story. Um, one day, I noticed that the inside of my hands were turning blue. Okay, it wasn't like Smurf blue, but it was enough blue to know like, okay, my hands, I'm very white. I'm like, I could get sunburned with a full moon outside, you know, like, but when someone it's blue, I'm like, okay, this is a little weird, right? And so what do I do? I feel okay. I don't have any other symptoms. My hands are blue, but that's it. So I log into WebMD. I start putting, I have blue hands. And then all of a sudden, what pops up? I have bad circulation. Well, what causes bad circulation? I click that link. And all of a sudden, I have heart problems. I'm going to have a heart attack because my hands are blue. And so what do I do? I call the doctor. I go get a doctor appointment. He says, what's wrong? I say, I'm going to have a heart attack. You know, like I'm telling you, I'm going to have a heart attack. I looked it up on Google, right? WebMD told me I'm going to have a heart attack or I have pancreatic cancer. One of the two, I don't know what it is, right? 
And all of a sudden, I'm nervous. I'm rubbing my hands on my thighs like this. And I realize I've bought a new pair of jeans. And the denim color is rubbing off on my hands. Right? The doctor never knew that. Why? Because I went to the doctor with a solution. I didn't go to the doctor with the problem. I went to him like, hey, I'm going to have a heart attack. You need to admit me or something, right? How many of you have ever gone to a doctor with a solution instead of going to a doctor with a problem? You see, all of us do this in our faith. All of us do this in our walk with God. We go to God and say, God, listen, if you just fix my husband, my marriage will be a lot better, right? If you just make my wife quit nagging me, then my marriage will be a lot better, right? No, no, no. That's not how God works. God, if you would just give me a raise, if you just give me uh, the, the job that I want, then these bills wouldn't be a problem, right? God, if you would just do this, if you would just do that, all my problems will go away. But Mary knew something that we don't know is instead of going to Jesus with the solution, all she said was, they ran out of wine. She just went to him with the problem. Now, I don't know what your problem is, but I want to tell you that if you have a problem that feels like it's impossible to solve that problem, you're in the perfect place for a miracle. When you can't see a solution to your problem, you are in the perfect place position for a miracle. Mary didn't go to Jesus and say, hey, here's my card. I need you to go down to CVS down here, get some of the, the Welches, okay? They're, not, they're too drunk to tell now. We're just going to, no. She didn't go to him and say, hey, there's some jugs right here. Fill them up with water and turn them into wine. No, she didn't do that. She went with the problem. She went to him with the problem. When we go to Jesus with the problem, it shows him that we trust him with the solution. We trust him with the solution. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, it says, trust in the Lord completely. Say completely. Completely. With everything. Trust him completely. And don't rely on your own opinions. I'm gonna say that again. Don't rely on your own opinions. Don't rely on your own solutions. Don't rely on the thing that you think would make your life better. Don't rely on that. But with all of your heart, Rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you into every decision you make. When we go to Jesus with our problems, then we can trust him with the outcome. And let me tell you, when you trust Jesus with the outcome, it is so much better than anything you could ever do. I don't care how good you are at your job. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care. When you trust Jesus with the outcome, it's much better than anything you could ever imagine because that's who he is. Y'all gonna get sick of me talking about this. I don't care, okay? You're sitting in a miracle. I banged on every door in Rivergate that was empty, trying to find a space for this church to meet. I mean, I called other churches. I'm telling, I was talking to real estate people and they told me, quit making these phone calls, dude. You don't know what you're doing. L- legit, I'm not joking. One guy loved me enough to tell me that. And uh, I told him, I'm like, listen, man, I'm just doing what God told me to do. I was going to God with some solutions. God, there's an empty babies or us right down here. It'd be great if our church could meet there. God, there's an empty movie theater across from Sears. It's been sitting empty for a long time. It'd be really awesome if you did that. And the night that Stephanie and I sit down and we prayed and said, God, I don't know the solution, but here's the problem. That next morning, pastor of this church messages me, said, you don't know me, but I want to offer my building up to you guys for free. 
couldn't have dreamt that up. I couldn't have called enough real estate people to, to make a difference. Another story that comes to mind, we have some friends here. Dan, Rebecca Bird, y'all wave, just wave. You're fine. I'm going to bring you up in a little while anyway. You're fine. I know. <laughs> you don't even know what's about to happen, dude. I'm joking. I'm joking. Dan and Rebecca are like our family. Uh, they worked, we worked together at Christ Fellowship down in Florida uh, where we met Michaela, who's, who leads worship up here. And uh, I remember when we first met the birds, uh, Rebecca, she has Lyme disease, not Lyme's disease. Okay, I put, I put the Southern S on it. Kroger's, you know, Publ- uh, Publix does have an S sound, I guess. You know. Aldi's, right? That's it's what we do. Um, but I remember when we met them, uh, Rebecca wasn't doing very good. I mean, I'm talking, there was one time, and I could tell Dan would come into work or Sunday, and we'd be, I mean, we prayed for so long. And uh, there were times Dan looked tired. And Dan doesn't look tired. Dan's I'm from New York, loud as can be. It always has energy. I love it. I love it. We got some, we get some trouble when we're together. But I remember uh, it was Christmas Eve. Our church back home runs like fifty thousand people uh, on the, or like seventy five thousand people for Christmas Eve. It's huge. And Dan is part of the production team at our campus, and it's Christmas Eve, and he didn't show up. And I'm like texting Dan, like, "You coming in, dude? <laughs> like, this is a big service today, you know." And come to find out, Rebecca had gone to the hospital for some seizures and all kinds of stuff. And I remember um, you guys trying thing after thing, treatment after treatment. I mean, trying everything, you know, and that's not bad. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I remember, I mean, we fasted during our fasting times. We're praying, God, bring Rebecca healing. And I don't know what caused it, but I know now that Jesus finally heard the problem and he did something about it, right? And I mean, she's here. She was just telling me uh, when they showed up, like, I, I didn't know if I would be here right now. You know, on that Christmas Eve, that was scary. We thought we were going to lose Rebecca. And here she is flying across the country, running a nonprofit that I'm going to tell you about in a little while. It's awesome to see what God can do when we go to him with our problems. But don't be surprised when God tells you to do something crazy, when you go to him with the problems. Let's keep reading. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 6 in John. Nearby stood six. Y'all say six. Very important. Six stone water pots meant to be used for Jewish washing rituals. All right, so they would have these big water pots. It'll say in a second, they're about 20 gallons, real big. And they would use it to wash their hands. Uh, They were Jewish people were very clean, like they had to do certain things to be considered clean, to be around each other, and to eat certain foods and to do these types of things. So these were very important things. And so they're sitting there. Each one could hold about 20 gallons or more. And Jesus came to the servers and instructed them, fill the pots with water right to the very brim. When you go to Jesus with your problem, don't be surprised if it requires something of you. But the difference is, uh, when we go to Jesus, he's telling us what to do instead of us telling him what to do. And a lot of times we like to tell Jesus what to do. But when Jesus is in charge, he tells you what to do. And don't be surprised when he uses something in your life that's already nearby, that's already kind of around you in order to give you the miracle that you've been praying for. Most of the time, you don't have to look very far. So Jesus, how many stone pots were sitting next to him? Six. Okay, six. Now, the Bible is a really interesting book. Okay, Uh, especially uh, to our Jewish friends, like they read into everything and everything can be read into into the Bible. 
Six in the Bible represents the number of man. So the mark of the beast. What's the mark of the beast? What number is that? Okay, so that's like the worst man ever, right? Like that's three sixes in a row. That's pretty bad, right? On the sixth day, God created man, okay? And and through man, uh, man creates the world, right? Like God gave him the ability to create the world. Now, I want you to do something weird. I'm going to try to do it with my microphone. I want you to take your fingers and put them together like this, okay? Now take your other arm, and I want you to hold it out, okay? Can y'all hear me? I can talk pretty loud, okay? So this is called a, a cubit, okay? From the bend of your arm right here to the tip of your middle finger, that's called a cubit. And that's how people measured everything. They would measure how many cubits high was this podium, right? And they would build. Man would create these things. Guess how many of these goes from here to the tip of your finger? Six. Come on, God built six right into you. Unless you have a weird arm, try it. Come on. Come on. Unless your arm's weird, it happens. Does it happen? Isn't that crazy? Is it right? You can start doing your woodworking with that, dude. You don't even need a tape measure. But it's interesting. Like, God built this into us. It's all in the Bible. Anytime you see the number six, it's a, it's a big deal. In this story, whenever the author wrote this, the readers of this would know. Six stone jars, huh? I wonder what they're going to have to do to make this miracle work. And so Jesus looks at them and says, hey, I want you to fill these jars up with water. Don't fill them halfway. Don't fill them almost to the top. I want you to fill them to the very brim where nothing else could be added into it. Don't be surprised when you t- take your problems to Jesus that he, he t- it's going to require something of you. It's going to require you to do something. If you look at the Bible, or in the Bible, the miracles that Jesus did, it always required a step of faith. It all, it most of the time required someone to actually do something. Right? You look in the Old Testament, Naaman, he has leprosy. All of a sudden, Elisha doesn't even come out to heal him. Elisha just says, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And so he dips seven times. What would have happened if he would have dipped six times? Nothing. Because that's the number of man. But he dipped the seventh time, he comes back up, and he's completely healed of his leprosy. It required him to go to Jordan, the river of Jordan, and dip in it six times. Telling you, your miracle is going to require something of you. You're going to have to find the empty jugs in your life. You're going to have to fill them. And not just fill them halfway, not just do a little bit of the work, but you need to work like it all depends on you, and pray like it all depends on God. That's where miracles take place. God doesn't do miracles for people that aren't willing to put in the work. Some of you are struggling with depression. You're struggling with anxiety. And I'm telling you, it's hard. It seems counterintuitive. It's the last thing you want to do. But go get some help. It's going to require you to go fill your jug up with water. Go get some help. So go see a doctor. Start taking some medication if you want, if, if he tells you to, right? Do everything you can do and watch God do the miracle along the way. And I love that. He said, fill it up to the brim. Man, we don't do things halfway when God tells us to do something. We go all the way in. We go all in. We're not leaving anything behind. I love that Jesus did that because it shows everybody that, that's, that's at this party is, listen, 
because someone in that party is going to be a naysayer. They're going to be negative. They're going to go, ah, he couldn't do that, right? They're going to be the pessimist of the party, right? But when he filled it up to the brim, all of these people that saw that could go, no, no, no. He didn't add anything to the water. Like it, it was water. It, nothing could be added. It was filled all the way to the top. And only Jesus could have done, like he could only do a miracle, right? Like it, it, left, it left no room for dispute. Some of you, man, you're, you're getting tired of filling your jug. Man, you're three-fourths of the way there. God, I've been praying. I've been going to job interview after job interview. I haven't been able to find work. God, I have done this. I have dated this dude after this dude after this. I can't find the one, right? I'm not encouraging you to just keep dating 500 people. Okay, I'm just saying. Sometimes, or most of the time, your miracle is going to require something of you. And if you're getting tired when you're filling up your jug halfway, man, you might not ever see that miracle. You got to keep going. You got to keep doing the thing that God has told you to do. And it's going to be hard. You know how much that stone pot weighed with 20 gallons of water in it? A lot. Have you ever carried a thing of water? It's heavy. They were sweating. The servants were probably cussing Jesus out. Like, what is, he, what is this water going to do? We ran out of wine. We don't need water. You're going to get tired. But you have to keep going. Some of you, 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 you're up, like we said earlier, you're in a situation where it feels like there is no solution. It feels like it's impossible. Well, just do the next right thing. Like Frozen 2. If you all ever know that, you know, if you know that song from Frozen 2, right? That's a great, say it's great advice, great wisdom. If you don't know what to do now, don't feel like you have to figure out the solution. Just do the next right thing. Guess what? That next right thing might be just going to Jesus and going, God, here's my problem. This happened to me one time, and this is insane. Uh, I, I, I'll probably tell all these stories at some point, but uh, I remember um, hearing a message like this at our church. And at that point, I was driving a $1,000 car. You remember this car? Really loud muffler. Remember that black Honda? Had no AC in South Florida. Terrible. Um, no tinted windows. And uh, if the small of your back touched the leather seats in that thing in the middle of summer, Hell couldn't can't be hotter than that. Not like honestly, it was it was so hot. Um, and I was driving down to our main campus at, at one point. It was you know thirty five minute drive, and I, I was sitting there going, I can't go on like this, right? Like this car problem's got to get fixed. But we didn't have any money to get a car. And all I said, I'm not joking. I said, God, you know, I, I need a car. I don't care how it happens. I need a car, and and I like this one's about to fall apart. And if we got in a wreck. I ain't going to make it, you know, like, um, and I pull into the parking lot of where I was going. I walk into the church and I'm not joking. you. I walk in the first person I see, not the first person I talk to. The first person I see comes over to me and looks at me and says, do you need a car? I started like sobbing in front of this dude. And he was like, uh, are you okay? I'm like, how did you know that, dude? You know, like, this is weird. And he said, someone told me a few weeks ago, and I haven't seen you, and so I just saw you. But I'm telling you, when God, when you come to him with a problem, he's going to blow you away with the solution. But you have to be willing to do what he tells you to do. Fill up the jugs. Go get the water. Bring it to him. But what are you not doing? 
Some of us have problems and we're not willing to do anything. We're praying to God like it all depends on him, but we're not working like it depends on us. And when two of those things collide, when we can work like it depends on us, but pray like it depends on God, God sees that as a step of faith. And faith, it opens the door for a miracle. Faith opens the door for a miracle. And I think today, man, some some of you guys need to start walking toward that miracle, doing the work, going and getting the help, keep applying for jobs. Man, start working on yourself and see how your marriage turns out. You need to just start going to Jesus with your problem instead of going to Jesus with a solution because I'm guarantee he's laughing at your solutions. They ain't good enough. I'm going to have the band come back up here. And uh, that last song we sang, it's called House of Miracles. Love that song. I love that song because it's a challenge to me. There's a part in the chorus that says, and we bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Every problem I have better be going to the feet of Jesus. That's where it belongs. Because here's what I know, Clint is not the answer. Some of you have been trying to work on your own solution and you've been trying to do this on your own. And let me just ask, like, how is that working for you? Because it probably ain't working very good. But it's time for some of us today to make the decision to go, I'm not doing this on my own anymore. I'm bringing everything to the feet of Jesus. I'm bringing it to the only person that can do anything. And I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. Mary had that figured out. She knew that if these services did whatever Jesus asked them to do, no matter how weird it seemed, that a miracle could happen. He was going to provide. And listen, I know some of you are running on empty right now. You're tired. Man, you want to give up. You want to stop. And you feel so fake for doing this thing and not really feeling like you should. Let me just challenge you. That's not being fake. That's being faithful. Right? Even when you don't feel like it, you get in the game and you do it anyway, and you keep filling that water jug up. I'm telling you, God's going to come through. That's what he does. That's how he works. And so we're going to sing this song again, okay? But during this song, I don't want it to just be words we're singing, a fun song we sing all the time, right? I want this song to be an act of us giving those problems to Jesus. Us bringing those things to the only one who could do anything. And I think tonight we could see God to start doing some miracles in here. Come on, I believe it. I do. If you don't have enough faith, you can come borrow some of mine. God can do it. I believe he wants to. Let's stand. We pray, God, we love you. Man, God, I thank you that you even care about something as small as having a drink at a party. God, there's, you're not amazing because uh, nothing is too big for you. God, you're amazing because nothing is too small for you. So God, even the small problems that we're facing, God, would you begin to work in those, the things that seem insignificant? Because they're not insignificant to you. They mean a lot to you. And God, even the big problems and everything in between, God, I pray we bring them to you. God, I pray during this song, 
as we sing, that you begin to show us what can we start doing today in order to start filling our jars up so that we can show you, man, we're here. We're here for the miracle. We're here doing the work for this miracle. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.